Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. And this week, we have a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, special guest? It would be my pleasure. Uh, I'm Tim Seeley. I recently wrote Spider Gwen Gwenverse for Marvel Comics. I have a career going back uh, a few years doing writing other comics. I've worked as an artist and I've worked in films and video games and all kinds of things. But uh, I think you guys want me here to talk about uh, our, our, our ghost spider. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, we did, we did also want to ask you a little bit about your background there as well, but yeah, no, uh, we've, we've been reading uh, Gwenverse here on the podcast. We've been enjoying it. Um, and uh, we wanted to talk to you about yourself as a comic writer and stuff. Um, but yeah. So uh, what was your, uh, what was your sort of intro to, to comic books then that sort of historically? Uh, I'm probably older than you guys. So I go back to like when I was a kid in the growing up in the eighties, the first comic I ever got was Spider-Man actually. Um, it was uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue 230, and I was camping with my family. It rained the whole time, so we stopped at a little camp store, and that was the issue my dad picked off the shelf. Um, and he had grown up reading comics as well. He had read uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 when he was a kid, so he was familiar with it. And uh, I pretty much triggered like a lifelong um, fandom, and then I started making comics pretty much as soon as I got a comic as a kid always drawing stuff and writing stuff. Didn't know I was writing stuff, I guess. I just thought I was, you know, I wanted to draw comics. But uh, out of college, I got a job working for a publisher uh, here in Chicago. We did like G.I. Joe and Transformers and Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, I also did my creator-owned comic, uh, Hack Slash, which I had, was kind of the first thing I'd written that people actually read. And uh, that sort of led to a career as a writer as well. I guess I'm probably at this point better known as a comic kind of book writer than an artist, which scares me, but uh, that seems to be the case. And uh, getting to work on, this was actually my first, I'd drawn a Spider-Man story before, but this is like my first chance to get a, a dive into the Spider-Man corner, which was pretty cool because obviously I came from that stuff uh, from the very beginning. Because uh, you've previously worked for Marvel before, like you did Deadpool, you did Shatterstar, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, um, so I'm a freelancer, so I kind of pop back and forth, and I have worked for Marvel, I guess, going back almost 15, 16 years, probably more than that. And so, yeah, I've done the ones you, you mentioned, uh, you know, mostly with Marvel, I started out kind of drawing for them, and then um, the last few years I've been occasionally writing stuff. Um, I just, they just announced I'm doing a... Uh, it's a crossover event called Unforgiven. It's like a horror Marvel thing with Spider-Man and the X-Men and Captain America. So, you know, always doing little stuff. I'm, I'm always around. That's kind of my, if you work in this job long enough, that's kind of the thing. You just kind of do all kinds of crazy stuff and there's no real major through line. <laughs> and when you get to do something you really like, you know, or something you're a fan of, that's kind of a, it's a treat. Yeah. No, it looks, looks like a lot of fun. Um so you you were you sort of in your mind then you sort of still think of yourself as more of a, a comic artist than like cause you, that's that's more of your background then. I don't. I, I used to say that because I didn't write a lot of stuff that wasn't comics. I kind of but lately like I did a video game and I did a movie so now I feel like maybe I I am more of a writer because because of that. But um, I definitely always sort of for me the, the the thing was making comics like for whatever reason when I saw that first issue of Spider Man just like you know, something about it, the medium became like my favorite thing. Um, I actually teach uh, at Columbia College Chicago, 
and I teach uh, cartooning and illustration. So um, I always kind of have those, you know, hands into the art side of comics as well. Oh, lovely. It's really neat. Are you like, you're set, you're working two jobs then, basically then doing. Oh, I, I always work three or four jobs. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a freelancer. So like just the way that you have to do it is that you kind of always have multiple things going on because, you know, I'm, I'm a full-time writer, um, probably a little more than full-time, but you know, it doesn't have insurance and it doesn't have stability and it doesn't have, you know, retirement fund. Um, so, you know, now that I'm in my forties, like, and I have a daughter, um, I ended up taking this teaching job kind of just to get myself out of the house, but I really like what it brings to my life, which is some stability and socialization. And so, yeah, I mean, but almost all comic creators are always doing all kinds of stuff because it's such a crazy business and it's so generally unreliable that, yeah, it's, it's kind of a inevitability. All right. I see. Um, how is it you, you go about marketing your sort of your time as a creative then? So like when Marvel or, or DC or, you know, uh, one of these sort of publishers wants you to write one of their comic books, how, how are you, how do your pitches get through to them? I mean, that's a great question. I just don't know. Uh, (laughs) I mean, a big part of it is, you, you know, I've worked in this a long time and I know a lot of people, um, and a lot of the editors I've worked with, you know, at other companies, um, they go on to work at Marvel and DC or the other way around. People I worked with at Marvel and DC go on to work at Image or IDW or Dark Horse. or um, And so it's not a very big industry, uh, which kind of allows you to, if you've been doing it for a while, everybody kind of knows each other. So, you know, in the beginning, a lot of it, and the first time I got hired to do something for Marvel was um, the editor, Jordan White, uh, who is... Uh, currently editor of all the Marvel uh, X-Men stuff, he had read Hack Slash and he liked it. And so he reached out to me to draw something and then also to write something. You know, and my first stuff at DC was because Scott Snyder, who is the was the writer on Batman at the time, had liked Revival and told the editor, Mike Martz, like, hey, get this guy for Batman Eternal. So it's always kind of that way. Like people see your work and they, you know, they want, they like something about it or they see something about something you did that would be also, you know, valid for another project. So like, obviously for Batman, um, you know, they saw Revival, which was a crime comic and it was kind of dark. And I thought, well, this guy can probably handle Batman. So, so they hired me for that. Um, you know, and you always, I'm always coming up with new stuff. So, you know, my series uh, Money Shot, which is uh, not at all like my previous stuff, but is about essentially explorers who fund their science uh, by filming sex with aliens uh, from vault comics. That one, I know it's read by some editors. And and so when they need something kind of funny or sexy, they'll call me up. And I think this time around it was, I had done a, um, you know, I'd done a a Lobo versus Superman comic over at DC. And it was, you know, kind of lively and funny and weird. And one of the editors had read that. And so they thought, uh, Hey, Seeley probably be a good for this weird cosmic Gwen story. Cause it needs to be kind of funny and it needs to be, you know, lively and charming. And um, so it seems to be that's the case. Like you hopefully do a lot of work and the work that you do sells you to get more work. Um, And then the sort of, you know, the thing that'll knock you down is if you do something that isn't read by anyone or, you know, sort of um, there's just like nothing equivalent that people can understand, you know, Um, which that can sort of be weird. You have a book that people really love, but they're just like, I don't know what to do with this guy. 
So um, speaking of diving into the Gwenverse, because they said that um, editorial needed this uh, uh, cosmic Gwen story. So um, did they uh, call you up when they needed a writer attached to this book? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they had a, a rough concept that they wanted to do this story. And I think the story I heard was that uh, they had just done, and I worked on some of the books, but they had done this uh, Heroes Reborn series at Marvel. And there was one of the books was like um, Night Gwen, essentially. It was like Gwen is the Squadron Supreme character, Nighthawk. And it had sold pretty well. And, and, and I think what they found was like, you know, doing another sort of Gwen thing, like people were excited about it. And so the original thing they, they sent me was, would you be up for doing a Spider-Gwen team up with Night Gwen story? That was kind of like the original nugget of the story. And then so we kind of kicked it back and uh, around and just threw out some ideas. And someone at Marvel said, um, I think it was the editor, uh, Darren Shan, said, like, we should just do Gwen versions of a whole bunch of people. And they sent me this pinup from one of the early issues. It was like the Gwen Vengers. So it was like, it, it was like a pinup. So it was like, you know, just a recover. It was like, an alter- that was the uh, Carlos Gomez one, right? Uh, it might have been. Yeah. And it was just like all these different versions of it. Um, and they said, what if we did something like this, where it's sort of like, you know, kind of like the Marvel team, the Exiles, but they're all made up of, of versions of her. And so they, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. And Peach Momoko started doing some sketches, and and uh, you know, like a week later, I got some sketches back, and there was like, uh, you know, there was Captain America was in there, and Thor Gwen was in there, and then uh, also they were like looking for one more character, so we didn't have Captain Marvel yet, and so they just kind of said, hey, can you come up with a a reason for why this would happen? And I knew like right away that I wanted to make sure we didn't do like a multiverse story, just because. It's been done a million times. She comes from a multiverse story. And I, I kind of felt like the stakes would be lower if we did that. So um, we came up with a way to do, like, I came up with a pitch of, okay, this isn't a multiverse story. It's a time travel story. And the stakes are a little bit higher because it's not like a world that isn't her isn't in danger. It is her world that's in danger. I like that. That's really interesting. I, um, you, you mentioned uh, the Night Gwen book uh, had quite a bit of interest. They wanted to do more with her more specifically initially there then? Yeah. I, you know, and again, like, you know, these are always kind of like conversations you have on like on a phone call or a zoom. So I, I don't, I hope I'm not screwing anything up, but I, someone had noticed like, Hey, this character, when she shows up, there's like a sales bump or this cover. There was like a sales bump for that, for Night Gwen. But I think it was kind of, it was very early, I think. So when they came back and I said, well, you know, I read Vita's book and I read Jason Aaron's scripts for Heroes Were Born. It's like, well, at the end of this story, you know, Night Gwen gets turned into like Harley Quinn, essentially, right? Because in the Heroes Were Born stuff, if you read it, um, it's essentially like an alternate world where it's kind of like Marvel does their DC thing. So Green Goblin was Joker and Nighthawk was Batman and Superion and Superman, obviously. And so she was kind of taking the place of Harley Quinn and she got poisoned with goblin gas at the end. And uh, so, so I kind of said, well, it can't really be a team up because she's a bad guy. And then, so we kind of came up with this notion that she was the one picked by finale to, to sort of hunt down the other Gwens because she was the bad Gwen, which, you know, it ended up giving us like a cool antagonist and it gave us somebody, you know, as a character who's like, obviously she knows a bunch of things about Gwen because she is Gwen Stacy, but from a different universe. And she kind of has the opposite story to some degree. You know, Gwen's story is kind of this very, very personal thing. She becomes Spider-Gwen because of, the, you know, when Peter uh, dies, turned into a lizard. And it's very much a guilt-based thing. And, and uh, Night Gwen was like this 
she's you know someone who um, is a student. She's the sidekick of uh, of Nighthawk. So so like just let us do a lot of cool stuff. Um, and I realized all this stuff I'm saying, like if any sane person heard this, they'd be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Uh, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, so technically, um, this would be your second time writing Night Gwen because you wrote her previously in Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action, but just as Gwen Stacy, correct? Right, because that one was like the flashback issue before she became uh, Night Gwen. Yeah. So, and, and that kind of really helped me too because, you know, in writing that, I had to read all these old comics to kind of get the flavor right, which was awesome, and I really liked doing that book, but um. But it helped me sort of, you know, figure out the vibe and stuff of that character and like what she would turn into and stuff. So, yeah. So technically, you're right. Second time. Uh, good catch. I forgot all about it, but that's totally true. And it was kind of how um, you had to remind people on Twitter that Night Gwen being evil in the first place was because of what happened in Heroes Reborn number five. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. Like all these people. Yeah. That, that Like I got all these tweets for like, oh, that, or, or like reviews like from real reviewers in quotes because i don't know how many there are but but like they would be like oh he changes like no i didn't that that was in that story that was you know i was just picking up for people like you like you want to see the stories pay off so it made sense to me that we have you know and especially if uh, finale's thing was she's kind of plucking these people out of these dying worlds as they got consumed by the end of time like she should then be in the state that they, we last saw her which was that she's been poisoned by the gas but yeah, it seems like every, either nobody read that part or they completely forgot it. I think there was more interest weighted in the in the side issue than there was an actual like the main continuity. What happened to Gwen there? Um, I know I know we were quite interested in the Night Gwen stuff, but we only ever covered it here on the podcast. Just Vita's issue. We didn't actually delve into the um, the Heroes Reborn stuff, and then we I I I was I was unfamiliar with it personally. But yeah, it was I it was it was a really good sort of. I think dynamic to set them up with, I think. Yeah. And I, I think part of, you know, the job, I, I could have sort of bumped it and not did it, but I, I, you know, Jason had gone out of the way, Jason Aaron, who wrote those stories to like sort of set stuff up. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of always of the opinion that when someone brings out the toys from the toy box, like you got to play with them before you put them back. So, um, so I thought that was some interesting ideas and, and, you know, just getting a chance to do, it's kind of the stinger at the end of the first issue, right? It's like Gwen has met Thor Gwen and we know she's going to meet these, these other ones. But then, you know, we reveal like that Finale's got her own agent on her side who is a Gwen too. So, you know, I thought it was fun. I had a good time with it. Uh, I really like that design. I think that's always a big part of the Gwen stuff is like their cool designs, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's and it yeah. goes back to Gwen yeah. Poole, who's not a Gwen Stacy, but now, but, um, but that it was just such a good design that people are like, well, who's that? And, yeah, it's like a reminder that comics are so visual. Like, it's sometimes you just want to know the story of something because it looks awesome. And that's good enough. (laughs) And uh, you tweeted out that you uh, decided to take Gwenverse because your daughter's a big fan of Ghost Spider. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. She's three now, but this was like uh, about a year ago or so when um, she started watching Spidey and His Amazing Friends. And she just became completely obsessed with it. She kind of liked... I'd shown her like um, the older Spider-Man cartoons because we watch cartoons together. But when she saw Ghost Spider, like, you know, it's a little girl and she's hanging out with Spider-Man and it just like blew her mind. And then she had gotten for her birthday a hoodie uh, that you zip it close and it's like a Gwen mask, you know, and she would just put it on and stand there and stare at us. It was really creepy. 
Um, but then when, uh, uh, when uh, Darren and uh, Tom asked me, like, hey, would you be interested? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Because I want her to know this. And, of course, she is three. She has no idea what dad's job is. And it doesn't matter that my name is on the book. Um, but, you know, just to, like, maybe someday she'll care. And that'll be good enough for me. Because <laughs> then later on, you joked that that when you told her that you were writing this book, then she found herself a new favorite spider. Yeah, then she liked Miles better for, like, a month. <laughs> right? Like, as soon as I did it, she was like, well, Gwen is cool, but uh, Miles has got a cool costume or whatever. And he spoke Spanish, which she really liked because her mom is from Honduras. And so Valentina is her Spanish all the time. So there was a while there where she really liked Miles because he spoke Spanish too. That's sweet. Uh, but she seems to have swung back to Gwen. Um, I, I mostly, I think it's the hoodie. Like when she can crack out that hoodie, it like changes uh, her fandom quite a bit. The Spider Gwen hoodie has has carried the character through through many many dry spells and and right. comic periods. It's uh, like you say, the visual. Um, it's, like, it's kids love hoodies like they might like chains too but kids love hoodies they really do and i mean one of the genius things of any character now and this has been true for a while but like especially in the era of cosplay is like if someone can dress up as it it inherently you know elevates that character to a to like a higher level which i've known because i did that comic hack slash and one of the immediate successes of hack slash was all these women and some men dressed up as Cassie immediately and like one that shows that they like something and it shows that the design is good and then it also they sort of advertise for you right because then they start going to comic conventions and they post their pictures online and so like so that's always been a big part of a character like Gwen is that it's very dress upable you know and and it looks so good for so many people so I guess we're diving into the territory of um what your familiarity <laughs> was with Gwen 65 before writing this book. What was it like? Actually, I had a pretty good familiarity with it. Um, so I'm, I worked with uh, Jason Latour going back, like he was the colorist on my book Loaded Bible in like 2007 or 2008, somewhere in there. So he and I have known each other for ages. I've also been friends with Robbie Rodriguez for probably 15, 16 years at least. So when that book came out, I bought it off the shelf. These are my friends uh, supporting the book. And I really liked it. I don't read a lot of comics, um, superhero comics really anymore, like for fun. But I thought that one was really cool. I picked up at least the first couple, their issues at least, probably more than that. So I was familiar. And I liked the, I, I really liked that they did the punk rock thing. I mean, I, I knew because I've had beers with Robbie that it was Debbie Harry uh, that he was doing. He was doing Blondie. That's that's what he was doing. Sick. Which I thought was so cool and sort of subversive. And I, I, you know, it's not necessarily that it translated to all the versions of her, but like a little bit of that sort of, she's a drummer, uh, she's in a punk band, she's, you know, singing about uh, Face a Tiger. Like, that was part of this sort of um, reference to Debbie Harry. I've, I didn't, I didn't realize that. And I like Blondie as well. That's a, that's a fascinating piece of info. I'm... I think Debbie is what uh, Rico Renzi uses for his prints for Spider-Gwen. Yeah, I think that's a Rob drawing too. It might be, but but it's obviously that's a big part of the color scheme, right? It's got this like sort of synth, uh, you know, blue pink synth wave kind of color, like eighties kind of thing. Um, although Blondie's sort of a late seventies, early eighties thing, but so that was a big part of Robbie's influence there. And you know, for like as a music fan, 
uh, myself like that and, and seeing them sneak in the music things which they do a lot in their early issues uh, like that was you know that's like one of those subversive joys for me so uh, so I was definitely familiar with the character uh, I've certainly written series of characters I had to learn about after I got the gig but this wasn't one of them <laughs> But um, when you first started writing Gwenverse, from picking up Gwen's story where she last left off, was there any communication with Sean McGuire who penned her previously? Um, we didn't talk about this one. I I, I know her um because long long ago she had written me a written a letter to the Hackslash uh comic, so I knew who she was, and I worked with her briefly on um uh, we did that X Men event. Um, what was it called? Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it, oh, uh, Age of X-Man. There we go. Age of X-Man. And uh, so I'd worked with her then. Um, I knew what she was doing in the series because they had sent me uh, the, like the last few scripts to sort of catch up on. So I read them. I didn't, I didn't talk to her uh, at that time. So I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if she had plans or anything other than what I read in the script, uh, but I did read all those comics. So I was familiar, you know, I want to make sure that it linked up. Like I obviously you want to make sure like it's readable on its own. Um, but I want to make sure I knew what she had done and where she left the character. Yeah, it was um because we were we were um we we were like really into like what uh what was going on with Maguire's stuff and then it ends up it ends quite abruptly, which we thought was quite a shame. So we were really relieved to see that the the character got picked up again, uh, with your series. Um but yeah, there was there was a lot of like I guess unfinished stuff left from, from Maguire's run that sort of yeah, I guess, I guess I guess we sort of you know, a lot of like stuff that's like yeah it's almost too much to 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 even even cover in a in a new series um i think um which, which i think is a bit of a shame um almost yeah it's sort of a i mean that's the thing about writing ongoing comic serials is that by design you have to start seeding all kinds of little subplots that you can pick up like that's that's the job and then you know x-men is famous for this especially when claremont was doing it uh, and it was his genius was that he would like put in all these subplots and then he would pick them up. Like, let's say, you know, five issues later, 10 or 20, he would like, Hey, remember that thing where we mentioned that thing about rogue and mystique and other, you know, all this stuff. But it's hard when you're doing an ongoing series, if you don't know how long it's going to go. So I'm sure Shannon was dealing with, with that for, you know, like had some ideas and, you know, series kind of go as long as either sales or it works for the schedule. Um, and I know that, you know, obviously, even after this series, they had some plans for Gwen going back to this sort of Spider-Verse uh, kind of storyline that they're doing now. And one of the things that, you know, when you work with Marvel, they tell you roughly that they have plans coming up. So they'll tell you, like, you know, leave it here. Like, leave, whatever you want to do, they don't tell you exactly what the next story is going to be. But it's like, you know, leave the character here so we can pick it up. So I did. You know, I, le I left it with a setup that they could easily sort of, you know, use for the next storyline. Um what one of the uh was was there anything in in particular which like intrigued you maybe from from the more recent comics that that you wanted to to bring in but couldn't at all or or were you quite keen just to sort of no i mean I, you know I always treat everything I come into like you kind of have to distill a certain amount of stuff, so you know having read all the book comics and and kind of you just boil down like here's the elements that make this character you know, work. So it's like, she, you know, and, and to do something like that with Spider-Man, it's like you read Spider-Man and you go, okay, he has to have, you know, um, he has to be kind of a nerd and, and he always has to lose and uh, he has to do this, but even though it hurts him and great power and great responsibility, 
and you got to have Aunt May because she needs him to do these things, and and he's always got to worry about her and all. Like so, those are the formula that makes it work. Um, and so when you read, you know, working on this, it's like okay, I got to distill the things that make this work, which is in this thing with the hardest part is like the stuff that, that Robbie had left, which was and Robbie and Jason had left, which was the world knows who she is. She spent a year in prison. <laughs> like that part is really hard. Uh, and, and the, you know, she has this spider suit that like gives her her powers now. Uh, and it's not a venom suit. Like those are all things I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. So you can see me working through how to do that in the series. Like I don't, you know, I just kind of use the elements that I needed for the story, like the part that we set up, which was that her suit, you know, had this life force in it, and she she was like, "I can use this or whatever." Like that, and we'd set that up earlier because the the fossil guy tries to drain it, so you think that she might use that, and it's like all these elements I knew I needed were just stuff that, like, you know, when they had that that were inherently part of the deal to start with. So it's like she lives with her dad; she, her suit mostly gives her her powers now. Everyone knows who she is. Uh, she's not very well liked. She goes to college in the 616. <laughs> Those are all the things I was like, okay, all right, I'll make that work. Because, uh, like, going to college in another universe is not my favorite idea on Earth. That seems like, you know, a weird, unrelatable thing to me. <laughs> but but it is what it was, and it, it allows her to interact with, you know, Silk and Jessica and Peter and, and stuff. Um, and it, and it's, what I think is interesting about Gwen is like she wasn't built to be an ongoing character, right? It was a one shot, and it was so popular and so ingeniously done and so well designed that it became a series. And that character is now in a you know huge movie and is going to be in another one. Uh, part of it is just that she's not designed for like things that you know. One, she wasn't part of the six one six in that universe. She's dead. Uh, like there's all these things that you're like, oh man, this is so much to explain. But it's just part of that character. Yeah. Um... Another thing about the sort of making the comic uh, going into it, at what point did uh, Jody Nishijima get brought on during that process? Yeah, so after we had gotten the initial designs, um, and I think there was at some point like some question of whether Peach uh, Momoko could draw it, and then it was pretty clear like that her schedule was going to be uh, full because she was doing the an X Men series. So um, we were kind of looking for someone like in that sort of vein. And I know one of the things that we, we had talked about was that like, this is going to be a series like pre, you know, it's aimed at a younger audience probably than the usual Marvel comic. Um, it's going to be more aimed at like, you know, I mean, at least from my perspective, like kids who are, you know, in their, I mean, I, I, I talk to college kids every day, so I know this is true. Um, they grew up on manga and they grew up on anime and they may love superheroes, but they didn't grow up with the style, you know, that's like prevalent in most superhero comics, especially, you know, like a Marvel comic. So we did, we kind of wanted something that looked a little manga for that kind of fan. And Jody was kind of the perfect combination because she has a kind of manga influenced style, clearly, but her storytelling is, is absolutely very Western. She, you know, she went to school at Savannah College of Art and Design, and she had this portfolio that was just like so good on the storytelling front. So the editor, Caitlin and, and Darren had sent over her samples. Um, and the first thing I said was like, she's awesome at storytelling, which, you know, some manga stuff is, is doesn't care about the storytelling as much as it cares about the drawing. So um, it's not as always as clear on the storytelling, but you had both those things. So uh, we all agreed that she was the right person. 
Yeah, I love Nishijima's art style in uh, this series. I even um, keep campaigning that um, if Gwen was to ever to get her own animated show, it should be an anime. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would totally make sense. I, 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 For me, anime just means a cartoon in Japan. Like, it doesn't mean a different kind of cartoon. <laughs> but I, I think that, that that aesthetic, to some degree, what we call manga style or that, you know, the or big eyes, small nose style, uh, totally makes sense. Yeah, it's um, you know, it 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 really came together there, and um, you know, we we were uh, yeah, we we were really impressed with the with the book, and uh, yeah, we we especially that um, the last page with the when I say the last page, one of the last pages with the with the web, Gwen pulling it all together, and yeah, it was it was really really culminated. We were yeah, it was really good. Yeah, she can do. You know, one of the influences that we had talked about uh, going back forth was. George Perez, uh, who I, you know, who, who died not too long ago, but when we were first coming up with the series, we were talking about things that kind of influenced me, and a big one was I wanted to do kind of the pace and the character stuff of the original Infinity Gauntlet comic, of which George Perez only drew like I think the first two and a half issues, but um, I'd sent Jody some of that stuff where it's like, okay, we have to draw a lot of people in a lot of rooms and a lot of you know in a lot of panels, and. So it was kind of this interesting combination of like a manga influence and then like, you know, this very American comic book artist uh, with George Perez. And I think it, it kind of makes for a perfect combo. Because, yeah, I've been getting some like 2003 Teen Titans animated series vibes. Yeah, I bet that works. That's a good call. Yeah. So uh, there's some obviously there's a there's a lot in the five issues that you and the team did uh, do you have any favorite parts or favorite bits of scenes that like really stuck out that you wanted to do or that when you did that you really enjoyed um i mean i love the uh the scene where they go to the 80s computer convention uh that was that was a really fun thing to do and just kind of having the characters and how they would react to that i also love the like state fair thing with cap uh and one thing we had talked about was kind of you know how to make cap this sort of like like an uptight kind of uh version of of her like a rural america 50s version um so that we could really do then the setup that we go to that ad agency and you know see the vision ad agency and um and the you know the calendar using gwen's face and stuff so um like just all those little sort of settings we get to do like one of the most fun things to do when you're writing something like this is like i get to do research for something like i I get to read a bunch of uh, accounts and news articles and look up old calendars, pinup girls, and like that's the fun stuff. Uh, and it's not quite like work. Like sitting down to type is is work. Uh, but like you know, sending Jody pictures of like uh, state fairs in upstate New York and stuff or whatever. It's like that's fun. Uh, and she did awesome work with that stuff. So I, I love those little moments. Like when the you know obviously big cosmic fights and stuff are are cool, but little character things and stuff you don't normally see in a superhero comic is always kind of my favorite. So um, who was your favorite new alternate Gwen out of all of the five that you've created? Well, I yeah, probably Thor, which I, as a character, my favorite is um, of those sort of templates is Captain America. So uh, I, you know, when I got to write Captain America, a version of Captain America, uh, I was pretty delighted, but in the end, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of have a crush on Thor Gwen. She's like, you know, just like a party girl and she's kind of fun and she's, you know, and she's also really arrogant kind of. Um, 
but she's also kind of like clearly sort of sad and guilt ridden because she's so preferred opposed to her, her brother. So um, I liked those little uh, that character and just the design is so good. And then one of the fun things about her is we just have her just wreck stuff. She's kind of a bumbler and, you know, arrogant and didn't take instruction very well. And uh, for, I was curious about um, Captain Marvel, um, the decision to uh, make her into a Jones, like as in Rick Jones, instead of making her a Danvers. Yes. Um, well, there was a whole lot of reasons for that one. Partly was era because the original Captain Marvel, the version before, um, this is a time travel story. So, so we, what I was originally sort of pitching it as is we would kind of, we would see the characters that are sort of the epitome of their era. So obviously Thor, we could go way back in the past. And then, you know, doing Cap is sort of a 50s character, totally makes sense, uh, especially after World War II and doing the sort of 50s kind of, you know, that kind of conservative vibe. And then doing uh, Iron Man is sort of like the kind of 60s or the 80s sort of character. And originally we were kind of, one of the things we kicked around was making Captain Marvel like the 70s sort of, sort of character. Um, because if you ever read that comic, it is the most 70s comic of all 70s superhero comics. But then story-wise, it didn't work out because we needed to jump ahead a few years. So so we kind of kept the design. And I, I really like that the original Captain Marvel, Marvel, I guess, was essentially them doing Shazam, right? I mean, it's a guy who's a, you know, it's Rick Jones and he becomes Captain Marvel. And that's obviously totally Shazam, who's also called Captain Marvel. Um, so we kind of, we kept that part of it. I would have to say that was the hardest part to make work because we, it was mostly, it was a visual thing at first because Peach had done a Captain Marvel design based on the idea that we're going to do the seventies. And then we just kind of had to roll with it. Um, I still think it plays like having Rick be the musician, you know, Rick Jones was a musician. So having Gwen be that, that still works. And I, I kind of, yeah, I just kind of felt like maybe that was the hardest part of it to, to pull off was because obviously Carol wasn't, she was Miss Marvel before. She was Captain Marvel, so it just felt like, you know, part of us was just figuring out, like, the what makes these characters different. And somebody who, you know, doing the alien version, the infiltration part, part of the story had to be that Captain Marvel sort of accidentally ruined Earth-65. And that part is definitely a Marvel thing, because that was the original story, was that he was sent to pretend he was a superhero, but he was supposed to destroy it all. And then, of course, he turned against uh, his orders. So story-wise was the main reason. And then... Once we had the timing, it kind of, it sort of worked out. Um, so the Gwens, they sort of, they get like zapped at the end by the finalizer thing. Like, uh, were they used as batteries for the finalizer? Yep. Is the, the sort of, the sort of the implication, right, that like, maybe they could come back through the multiverse, maybe at the end, I don't know if I'm reading into that. Um, it's like Night Gwen... I, I don't know. Is is that is that me just reading? <laughs> like, was Night Gwen also used as a battery, or did she just blink out of existence because uh, she was never plucked from the timeline in the first place? Yeah, she would. She gave herself up, but we don't. Again, look, we didn't show it for a reason. Uh, <laughs> one, it kind of felt like it would be so <laughs> grim to like have them all just go to get absorbed up. But like, I wanted to show. I wanted to end with it on the solidarity. Like, no, we need you to do this. We need you to save universe and because you know the sort of bad guys have been promised like they would survive this it made sense for the good guys to be like they know they won't survive it like they make this choice um but we didn't show it and you know i don't know never tie off a thread in comics and superhero comics right 
speaking of the bad guys, what was your decision to um uh have the Terminal Six like their inspirations? Uh, I mean, my biggest inspiration. I wanted to do obviously the Sinister Six, but I totally wanted to just have fun with it and like make something up, and also that would make them somewhat disposable. Um, you know, because I could kill them. <laughs> and so, uh, but then I kind of fell in love with them, and I really wish I hadn't killed. Um, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Uh, what's the Cephalopod? Yeah, Dr. Cephalopod. Because that was so much fun, and and I knew he needed to be like a, a Lovecraft character. And then because I knew that we were going to reveal that he was a bad guy for Ghost Rider of space. And so, you know, it totally makes sense. And, and also I was using the whole templates, the which is a from a Lovecraft story. And Marvel stories used to always do that. There's a lot of stuff in here just for me, not for anybody else. But uh, so that character was, I knew he had to have be sort of the inventor of this Kith template, which, you know, if you ever read that story, that that's how we switched up the different bodies and stuff. Um, but uh they were mostly just for complete fun and to just let Jody design the hell out of something. Definitely Black 13, that was the choice. I just wanted to see her design that Callisto-Black Cat combination. And then Fossil, again, was just like, you know, I, as a kid, I always loved Stegron. Uh, I was, you know, he's like my one of my favorite bad guys because he was a giant dinosaur. And so the joke, of course, is that he's now just the Fossil skeleton. Um, you know, they were. it was just purely... Let's have a good old time, and and I guess part of the inspiration too was um, into the Spider Verse, uh, you know, the version of Scorpion they have in there is not at all like the version of Scorpion in the uh, comics, and it's just like just like I don't know stuff for design, like use those characters and let's make something new, make it cool, maybe it, maybe it ends up as an action figure, you know. Uh, so was uh, uh for the Terminal Six was the unnamed Kid Carcass supposed to be a variant of someone we knew? Yes. What is? I can't remember what I said. What he was supposed to be? A kid carcass was going to be. Oh, he was a, a vulture. That's right. He was going to be like a little boy vulture. That. Oh, now it makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. yeah, that was a weird idea. That's dead funny. <laughs> but yeah, he was going to be like a little bald kid with like big vulture wings. But we killed him. <laughs> oh man, I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> but all these were sort of. Me going back to, you know, Robbie and um, and Jason's Gwen comics because they would do crazy stuff like that and have versions of, of characters, you know, their version of uh, Hobgoblin and their version of Wolverine and their version of Black Cat were like pretty different than the Marvel version. And so there was, I just couldn't think of a reason not to, if we're going to do something that feels like the their version, I, it totally made sense to make up crazy, you know, somewhat related multiversal variants and just let Jody design the hell out of them. Now I feel like you should uh, sketch up a little kid carcass after this. Just so. <laughs> I mean, it was probably too weird of an idea. Like when we talked about it, like, I want to make like a, like a really creepy, like, you know, kind of a horror character since obviously that's more my thing, but it was like, like a, you know, like a 12 year old, 11 year old boy with like a bald head and like, big crazy eyes and stuff so i'll leave it to you someone come up with kid carcass and then we just aced him off off screen and you never saw him because he tried to steal from cable and cable shot him in the face so it's just you know. maybe i can draw him and you can give me the notes there you go yo i'm, I'm telling you now it was gonna be a kid and i, I was thinking his costume was gonna be like red instead of like like a red kind of uh instead of green and he had like big wings and he had like a like the furry collar but he was like super creepy like you know, not like vulture creepy, but like, you know, like a 90s horror movie 
uh, creepy kid horror. <laughs> it's scary, you know. Would it be close to zombie-esque? Or... No, I think, like, it would be grosser if not, right? If it's just like, if you walked up on him and he was, like, eating on a carcass, he turned around and was like a, a little fleshy kid. <laughs> it's really, really horrible and definitely be enjoyed by someone. I thought the thing that uh, stuck out most is something which which really could only be in like a Gwen sixty five comic was um, was finale. Finale felt like a really like have, having a pop star be her villain felt really appropriate for a Gwen comic. I thought so too. Like like one of the only negative re- reviews I saw was like didn't get that at all. That they they were like, oh, this is such a you know trying to be cool like the cool kids things like that is that is a hundred percent what that comic was doing. Like the, the whole band thing and, and all the sort of pop culture references. Like, it's not my job to come up with something that doesn't fit the style. Like that is completely part of um, their thing was that everything was kind of music based and pop based. And, you know, the, the aesthetic of Gwen has always been kind of punk rock. And so having this sort of like the pitch originally was like, it's like as if Kang the Conqueror was Lady Gaga, right? Like that was our sort of concept. Um, so yeah, it's, it's completely appropriate and, and not at all, you know, sort of like trying to be hip. It's like, no, this is how Gwen works. This is how Gwen comics work. And they always have this kind of idea this, you know, um, and especially since one of the things we were sort of doing with it was if we're going to make all these references in the way that those Robbie and Jason comics, like she was called the living meme, which is a sort of a joke on all these old Marvel comics, which were, you know, the living mummy and the living monolith and all these sort of villains that were called that. So. Um, yeah, I stand by it totally. I think it was it's it's totally what it's meant you know meant to feel like. Now regarding finale, because um, we had this long running theory that finale was actually a Gwen variant from another timeline, and you kind of left her identity still unknown even after she unmasked herself. Yeah, I mean, we knew you would think that, right? <laughs> I mean, you know that it would make she was masked and you didn't know who she was, and so. We knew the readers would kind of think that. I felt like that would kind of be a cheat. And I think the whole kind of thing about Finale is that she's not a Gwen because if she was, she would sort of understand them. She would probably come around in the same way that Night Gwen did. And I didn't want to use the same storyline for, you know, if Finale was a Gwen, then then that's the same story as Night Gwen, right? So I wanted to be someone who isn't, right? And that's kind of why she ends up hating Gwen because the Gwens kind of can come together and work they can all be them and they can all sort of like themselves. And she always hated herself because she didn't get to be this thing that she wanted to be. You know, she didn't get to like keep those memories of alive of her, of her mom because she was so selfish. And so she, at the end, Gwen gets to like herself and finale has to hate herself because she failed her mom. So I don't know, to me, that totally made sense. Uh, you know, and it would, I, I feel like it would have been a cheat to have her take off the mask and be a Gwen because you'd expect it kind of right. So but we did sort of purposely keep it, you know, her face when you see, like when she sees her mom, you don't see Finale's face. And, and and in the end, it was this, you know, she's she's a very old woman. She's been doing this for a long time, trying to like stay hip and sort of be this star that's clearly like way past her. And she's kind of desperate. OK, makes sense. Um, uh, another thing we, we wanted to query was uh, Captain Stacy's employment status uh, is... A bit of a, there's a bit of a continuity thing going on at the moment. We, we were curious: is he is he employed with the police or not in in your run? Is he? We didn't say. Okay. I just decided not to. Work. I mean, you know, whatever the sort of last setting was, and also because of his daughter in jail and all that sort of stuff. You know, clearly he's an old cop. 
is he still working as a cop? I don't know. I, don't, I didn't. <laughs> I just kind of. If there's things that I'm like, is that exactly what you say? Like, if the status is sort of unclear, I just err on the side of like, let's not worry about it. It's not a major part of the story. But clearly, like, okay. his, you know, we see him in the alternate version of this where he's still a cop, but he's, you know, basically a sentinel. He's kind of like a cop sentinel sort of um, tasked with like policing all these superheroes. So, yeah, that was neat. Now, yeah. And in the initial stages of the book, before all of these uh, alternate Gwens came up, before it became a time travel story, did any of the alternate other alternate Gwens come up, like the one from Earth 8 or Earth 617? Those are from the uh, the Latour run. Uh, they introduced a couple of the like, adult yeah. Gwens who were superheroes. Yeah, and then there was uh, also like a Gwen Goblin, too, which is also the reason I didn't make Finale Goblin, because there's already a Goblin Gwen, and I felt like that would be just doing the same story. Um yeah, we briefly considered bringing in, I mean, one of the sort of original initial ideas was using the Gwen Goblin as the bad guy, but I just felt like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't cosmic enough. I'd seen it a bunch of times, and obviously the Gwen Goblin connection was played up in the Mike Gwen story, so I just felt like, I mean, I'd rather just add something new than, like, retread something I feel like is pretty well lived in, so. I really loved what you did with Evil Knight Gwen. Yeah, I felt like we'd get a a more interesting emotional payoff with that than we would like, you know, another Gwen Goblin story or something. So, and I didn't want to do like Gwenum. I didn't want to do that either because I just felt like I've seen it done. It's done pretty well. There's no reason to like go back and I don't know. Always add new stuff is my motto. Even if, you know, it doesn't get you all the points because you tried something new. Like I'd rather give you something you haven't seen before. I know. So, Makes sense. That's a, that's a cool way of going about it, I think. And um, but yeah, um, sort of just uh, retrospectively, I I don't know how much you're allowed to say about these sorts of things, but uh, did did the series sell well? Did it? Because obviously we don't have these numbers anymore as readers. Um, did it do okay? The first three had second prints, which is pretty unusual, right? I mean, that's you know, it's unusual for a comic to sell out and go back to print. It's really unusual for a comic to sell out and go back to print for three issues. So, yeah, it did sell really well. Um, that's oh, great. That's I'm great. very happy about that. You know, and with anything comics, like, if you want more of it, you have to make noise. Like, that's just the way it goes. So, like, yeah. you know, people wanted it. Obviously, they have a plan for some Gwen stuff right now, and, and she's a part of an event. And, and so that's what they're currently keeping her busy with. But if people want, like, more, you know, of any of the Gwenverse characters, or if you want me to work on this again, just, like, tell Marvel. Like, make a noise. You know, get people coordinated, and I, I'm happy to do it again. I just, um, you know, my my job is done. I wrote my story. I turned my scripts in, uh, and so you know, if you guys are interested in it, you just uh, rattle cages. Yeah. Do you do you see yourself writing a sequel to this? Then, if if that opportunity was ever given to you, do you do you think you you could write sort of something in a similar vein with with Gwen sixty five? Or if you wanted to uh, pen a Gwen ongoing? Yeah, that's what I want to do because I. I really like to, for me, this is like we built out some new ideas. And so it would be really great to do like something kind of akin to the the original Jason and Robbie series, like just a, you know, her on 615, like with what she knows now. But I would totally want to use some of the, the stuff we set up, you know, and like I would personally, for my own joy, want to create more new stuff. But like, you know, also be able to bring the things that um, that are set up by Finale and like what you know, what is done to the timeline and all that sort of stuff. 
I would love to do that side of it. Like I'd much, I, I don't know if I'd really want to do another cosmic thing, a time travel thing. Like that was fun. But for me, the best part is, you know, that she goes to, she lives in a town uh, that is like, sort of like ours, except it's a, uh, you know, or a world that's sort of like ours, except it's an alternate world. But like the stuff, my favorite stuff is the thing in the beginning where she goes to the bodega bandit and there's a she bodega bandit now. And, um, you know, all that kind of stuff is like what I love about the original series. It's also what I love about Spider-Man. Like, you know, it's neighborhood superhero. That's awesome. I like that. That's nice. And uh, what I really liked that all of these Easter eggs you uh, posted in these tweets, how you managed to sneak in some obscure or maybe a little bit obvious, but it might slip some people's minds at first Easter eggs, like with uh, the Zazax energy drink or Digitech or the Amortis spam. Yes. I love that stuff. That was, it was, again, that's one of my favorite part of what, uh, with uh, the original series was they would do that all the time because it was an alternate universe, you know, the Stark bucks and all that sort of stuff. Um, just being able to do there's, you know, there's so many great concepts at Marvel, but obviously in the regular Marvel universe, like it is full of this crazy stuff. Like there's a million super guys. And one of the cool things about, uh, and we use it obviously in the comic was like, you know, Gwen's world is sort of low super, right? Like the most, like you never saw Fing Fang Foom and uh, you never, like it was, it was still like a fairly, I mean, it's a superhero place, but it was somewhat more, grounded i guess than the marvel universe which allowed like i was like that the gwen's original spider gwen's first 10 15 issues was kind of like it was like a low budget spider-man like and spider-man is already like low budget superhero so like it was even sort of you know these are just like slice of life comics it's like peter Beggs hate except she's a superhero you know <laughs> like that's the things i really liked about it so Doing those little fun in-universe things and just continuing the joke of products being named after characters, I could do that every day. Like the bands in the room, you know, one of the bands is Shatterstar that she listens to. Um, another one is Serpent Society, which sounds like a death metal band, so they're called Serpent Society. Like I made posters for the walls in her room that I sent to Jody. It was just like, here's a poster for a fake synth band called Shatterstar. And here's a poster for a fake death metal band called Serpent Society. And just just because for me, that's, again, like I said, that's not work. You know, typing is work. But like dinkering around and doing world building and just making puns, like that's fun, you know. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, just uh, talking about some of the other work you've you've been doing uh, in comics at the moment. Is there anything you'd sort of like to plug? You mentioned you're doing some, some of the work with uh, the spidey office is it spidey office um it's spider-man's in it it's it's called uh unforgiven it's like a horror comic uh, event i guess it stars um, a bunch of vampire superheroes called the forgiven but it's like a event thing that pulls in spider-man and captain america and the x-men so the first issue is uh unforgiven spider-man and that comes out in january i think is it its own little universe or is it uh 616 or it's Marvel, you know, Marvel Universe thing. It's a, it's an event, so it like ties into the a lot of characters. Like, there's a bunch of um, other cameos and stuff. And the kind of way we set it up is like, there's a big storyline, but it involves these characters kind of cycling in and out and teaming up with um, the vampire characters, the, the Forgiven. Oh, right, that's neat. 
Yeah, I feel like the um, it's some sort of coincidence that the Unforgiven is coming out, uh, like the this January, and soon we're gonna have a Werewolf by Knife streaming. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. Um, I didn't know. I did, well, I knew about the the show, but definitely a thing we had talked about was like let's bring the the monster characters back because I think Marvel Films is doing more stuff with it. I don't know if there's this is not really in the style. Once I saw that trailer, I was like, oh. Well, that's awesome. I know what movie they're doing. That's a it's a movie called The Beast Must Die, which is hilarious that they're doing a riff on that. But ours is, you know, like a it's a more serious horror comic, which I don't usually do. But I kind of I had just written um, Vampire the Masquerade comics for Vault, and uh, so that's part of why they hired me to do it. Uh, and so I use that kind of vibe, like it's a sort of vampire survival in the Marvel universe and all the politics and stuff that goes with that. That sounds really interesting. So uh, was there any other uh, comics properties you wanted to uh, plug in? I noticed that recently you just tweeted out, You did, I think it was Masters of the Universe. Yeah, um, I'm always working on that stuff. So yeah, I've got a new Masters of the Universe comic coming up. Kind of a multiverse thing too. Um, so at this point, I just kind of do multiverse stuff apparently. I guess everybody just, that's what we do. Um, but I also have, uh, I have a comic coming out from Vault called Money Shot, which, uh, this, we're doing a new series of that coming up. And then I have another one from Vault called West of Sundown, uh, which is a Western, uh, kind of Western horror comic. It's essentially like, um, you know, like a, a Western town that's been settled by, uh, Frankenstein's monster and the invisible man, but he's a kid and, uh, a vampire and some other monsters um and so that's one of my favorite things i've been working on lately and i recently had a suicide squad short story come out through dc and what else like i got too much stuff oh uh i do the comic for the band disturbed uh so disturbed four i think just came out or four yeah i think so and what else i'm checking my wall here i have a harley quinn thing coming out from dc um harley quinn i yeah i do a lot of harley quinn I, i'm always always doing some kind of harley or suicide squad thing and then the trade collection today uh for one of my favorite comics i've written which is the uh, suicide squad king shark um it was a series i did came out beginning end of last summer and now the trade is out uh, with uh, artist scott collins uh it's essentially king shark is called to do what his real job as you find out which is to uh, fight in a interdimensional sort of karate tournament against a bunch of animal dudes and uh brings in his father and uh, his family and uh, uh it's it's i'm very proud of it it's really weird uh so if, if you want to check out some other stuff i did if you liked gwenverse that is probably the closest in tone even though it's like much meaner uh but it's because it's suicide squad but <laughs> stuff so as we wind down here, we kind of wanted to ask you some, these are going to be some rapid fire questions where you just give a quick opinion on, uh, on these questions. Okay. So corn dogs are hot dogs. <laughs> Wait, are they, or are they not? That's the question. Which ones would, would you, would you prefer? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hot dog. I don't, I don't like that corn generally speaking. I'll eat it, but I'd rather have a bun. But have you had Korean corn dog before? Yeah, just like last weekend. That's weird that you mentioned that. Yeah, last weekend, I, my wife and I went downtown for our anniversary, and I stopped at a Korean hot dog place. So it's awesome. It should be eaten by everyone. Yes. Eat those in the UK. Yeah, I like Korean corn dogs too. Do you do half mozzarella? 
Oh god, I, I couldn't. I didn't do a bunch of cheese on it. I, I, mine was pretty light. It was pretty like. Um, there's a place in downtown Chicago we stopped. Um, it was more savory. I didn't put tons of cheese on it or anything. This is this is the biggest tangent on the rapid fire questions we've ever done yet. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, moving on. Chuck Taylor's or ballet flats. Which would you prefer again for Gwen specifically? Oh, that's a good question. I I kind of got to go with the ballet ones just because it's so unique. Um, you know, obviously the the, the Chuck Taylors like fit the punk aesthetic, but you know, we put on the ballet shoes and sort of add something like a little. It adds something additional, which is always good. Like it's not just the same thing. So I'm gonna go with the ballet flats. Okay, which one of Gwen's powers would you like to have? Uh, spider sense would be great have a, a sense of whatever whatever's coming at me i would love to know uh who's gwen's arch nemesis in your opinion mary jane yeah okay because <laughs> they're their best friend but also clearly like her greatest enemy as well love that yeah especially during the uh gwen versus carnage arc when that really reached its peak yeah definitely yeah so that's that's so much part of the you know because that's kind of reiterate it's kind of doing the spider-man and harry thing right like the Peter and Harry thing. They're best friends, but they're also enemies. And yeah, so it's perfect. Peter Parker, Miles Morales, or Jessica Drew, who should she hang out with more? Honestly, I think it's weird when she hangs out with Peter because she lost one that died, right? That's kind of strange. Like, I would find that hard to write. Like, how do you deal with someone? You're like, hey, in, in my universe, we dated and then you died. Like, that's just kind of, I don't know. I liked it in Into the Spider-Verse, but they never dealt with that part of it at all. Uh, and then... Miles, for sure. I like the Jessica Drew thing, but there's something about the Miles stuff that you get so much. They're teenagers. like They have awkward moments, and they like each other, but they can't, and that stuff is great. Kind of a sub-question for this. Pax, don't get mad at me for this. Okay. What would you think about a possible Kane and Gwen ship? Well, why, why, are you, why are you asking? Oh, my... No. Okay. All right. Sorry. Mm-hmm. There'd be an age thing there, though, too, right? Like, it would be, like, a little bit weird. Exactly! There's the age thing! Yeah. Why do you ask? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm, I'm controlling myself. When people ship stuff, I know that's not usually a big thing. It's just, like, does it look good or is it kind of hot? Story-wise, it would be hard to do, I think. Like, is a fan pinup thing or is a ship, like, run wild with it? Uh, but I think as a story, it'd just be so hard to do. It'd be interesting if he was the same age or something, or around her age, I guess. And I guess it depends on what you consider Peter, because in my head, I guess Peter's been 26 or 27 for most of my life, right? But obviously, the original version is a teenager. So, yeah, I guess it depends. on <laughs> Comics are weird. That's that's the answer. Comics are weird. Yeah, despite me asking that question, yeah, I don't really support that ship either. I mean, it's an interesting idea of uh, plot-wise, like, okay, the alternate version of Peter is like this bad clone guy. And so he's kind of a bad boy. I mean, I get that. That part I get. I get the, that could lead to interesting stories. But, you know, I don't know. I, you always got to be careful with the rules I, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, a favorite adaptation of Ghost Spider in animation? Obviously, in Spider-Verse. It's amazing. The design is so good. Everything about it. No offense to my daughter. You know, uh, Spidey's Amazing Friends is pretty good. But I don't, I don't know if you can top how good Into the Spider-Verse Gwen is. It's fantastic. All right, I guess, does this wrap up our interview? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's all our questions. And right. I think we've definitely used up now. Other. All right, sure. Sounds good. But yeah, thank you so much, Tim. Sure, anytime.
But yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate your time and all the best uh, with the new uh, term semester. I don't I don't know what the word is in Chicagoland. Semester. Um, you got it. Semester. Semester. It's a semester. Uh, all the best with that and your uh, future writing. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Hey everyone, this is post-production Abigail and Pax here going to explain what's going to be happening in the next episode. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to be asking any more people about whether or not they ship Gwen or Kane. We're not doing that anymore. Um, certain people were not consulted prior to production about that particular question. It was, it was a choice made. I was very curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you want to explain to the audience why you're very curious about this ship that we agreed? <laughs> Pass. Um, but yeah, uh, that wraps up our interview with Tim Seeley, who wrote Gwenverse and a bunch of other things. Uh, we spoke to him about all kinds of stuff there, and it was very, very interesting to get a bit of a behind-the-scenes peek at comic creation, provided we don't have any other uh, sort of spontaneous interview sessions like that. The next thing that we'll definitely be doing on this podcast uh, should be Spider-Man number one by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley coming out in October? October 5th, yes. October 5th, in less than a month? Damn. Okay. In less than a month, we'll be reading that. So uh, we'll put links in the description for where to buy and read it. Um, I need to update the reading list, but we're going to put a reading list in the description um, with links to Comixology. Um, listeners, if you are going to read Spider-Man by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley, let us know what you think about it. Uh, and let us know what you thought about the Tim Seeley interview. There was a lot of stuff in there, uh, a lot of uh, interesting details. Um if you've got thoughts about that stuff, uh, let us know. We've got questions about, you know, just about anything, really. Because, I mean, there's a lot, lot to retrospectively think about at this point of the podcast. But also, uh, if you have thoughts about the new comic as well coming out, Spider-Man number one, when that does come out, uh, send us those as well. Uh, we're at GS Groupies on Twitter. Uh, we have an email address at GoSpiderGroupies at gmail.com, as well as a Kofi page if you'd like to help support the uh, uh, podcast subscription thing in Bob so that we can keep it live. Yes, please. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's been damn. Yeah, we interviewed Tim Seeley. This is crazy. Yeah. This is wild. Yeah, at least we finally have some answers on what went on. Yeah. There was going to be a Night Gwen versus Spider Gwen story initially. That's, that's an interesting detail. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be digesting that interview for a while. Uh, but yeah, uh, all the best, everybody. I've been Pax. And I've been Abigail. All right, bye. Bye. And kids, remember, it's Madison with two N's, one Y. But it's not where you think. Ha, 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 ha.